Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. James writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. May God bless the reading of His word. You know, we're starting a series in the book of James, and uh, it's all about putting our faith into action, faith that works. And uh, I love what one person said about this book. He said, the relation of James to the rest of the New Testament has been compared to salt and its place among foods. A dish of salt might make an ill-balanced meal, and I would agree with that. But a meal without salt is sadly lacking in flavor. James, though not suited to constitute one's entire spiritual diet, nonetheless gives special pungency to the total message of the New Testament. You know, so the gospel meal that is served up in the New Testament, uh, this book of James is some salt there to add some flavor to the full gospel message and impact that, that God is working in through us. Uh, the, book, the book of James is all about living out our faith in a broken world. It's about faith that works. It's been called the, the epistle of practice. And it's full of practical commands, as we will look at over the next several weeks. But before we jump into the commands, and the, specifically the one he's going to talk about today primarily, I want to talk about the author and the audience and the occasion as we set up this book to study. In verse 1, we see both who the author and audience are. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So the letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus. 
And you may know this, but initially James, Jesus' brother, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And it wasn't actually until Jesus had been raised from the dead and appeared to James that he believed. And then later we find James in the upper room in Jerusalem praying with the followers of Jesus. And then James becomes later the, the leader of the Jerusalem church where he chaired the council of Jerusalem and was regarded as a pillar in the church. The historian Eusebius records a testimony that says, James used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God. And later he became known as James the Just, which is a fitting name for the author of this letter, which is filled with instructions about living righteously, living out your faith. And he writes this letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And I think what he's referring to there, the people he's referring to are those who were part of the Jerusalem church, the Christians that were in Jerusalem, that were driven from their homes by the persecution which followed the death of Stephen, which is recorded in Acts chapter 8. And the reason for this letter is that these Christians, and just think about this, put yourself in their position. These Christians, as they're driven from their homes, they're trying to resettle in these places that they may be unfamiliar with. And as they are seeking to resettle, they are experiencing challenges. I mean, they're experiencing trials. And they're experiencing, you know, even some friction as it relates to living out their faith and representing Jesus in these new places. And it would be very easy for them. Think about this now. Just think about if you were displaced like this. It'd be very easy for them to seek just to kind of blend into this new culture instead of living out their faith and representing the kingdom of God in this new place. And so James writes this letter to spur them on to good works and gospel faithfulness. And the first subject he takes up in his letter is the subject of trials, difficulties. You know, we all face trials, right? I mean, we all face trials. Notice that James doesn't say, if you face trials. But he says, when you face trials. Because they're coming. And maybe for some of you, even you're in the midst of them as we speak. And the reality is everyone faces trials. Everyone deals with circumstances that are uh, unpredictable, unexpected, and beyond your control. Trials. And in this passage, in the first 18 verses, James deals with two types of trials. The first type are outward trials. The first types of trials are outward trials or external trials. You know, your car breaks down. uh, Your rent goes up. You're turned down for the promotion because of your faith in Jesus. You don't get invited to the party. These are all outward trials. And these are the ones that James is referring to in verse 2. These various trials. The second type of trials are inward, inward trials, which we would call temptations. It's the desire to do things your way instead of pursuing the life that God wants for you. And we all have this desire within us to to pursue things our way instead of trusting the Lord. And we have to wrestle with that desire every day. Even those who are followers of Jesus, we still wrestle with that same tendency to go our own way. These trials, both outward and inward, are what James are referring to in these 18 verses. And really the question boils down to, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, how will you respond to these trials? How should you respond to them? Now, I think when you boil it down, you can respond to them in one of two ways. And, uh, you know, the other day I was in the car and um, I had a conversation with Emma and two of her friends about this eighth grade school trip that they will go on next year. She's a seventh grader now, so they're anticipating this eighth grade trip. And some of you are familiar with this. I know Alex is, Ron. You know, this trip is called Outward Bound. And I may have mentioned this before to you, but th- here's the gist of the, of the trip. Okay, uh, the, the whole eighth grade class goes into the woods for, is it, what is it, three or four nights? Is it four nights? It's like a week. Okay, so, like a school week. So they take the whole eighth grade class into the woods. Okay, they have to carry all of their materials. They have to carry their food, their water, their tent, their sleeping mat, their clothes, and they have to put it all in their backpack. So they're all hiking through the woods with all their stuff. Uh, you know, there's no running water. There's no showers. There's no restrooms. No cafeterias. No hair dryers. No makeup. You know? They have to, they have to set up and tear down their camp every night and hike to a new place, a new site. And, and the trip is just filled with inconveniences <laughs> and discomforts. Filled with them. But at the same time, it's also filled with beauty and friendship and challenges and new experiences. And so obviously we're having this conversation in the car. And these seventh grade girls, they're riding in my car, Emma and a couple of her friends. They're anticipating this trip, so they're talking about what it's going to be like. And so then I kind of chime in, you know, do the dad thing, chime in and uh, talk and just encourage them about, okay, well, when you go on this trip, you know, try to approach it this way. And I try to give them some wisdom. And the reason I have this wisdom is because her older brother has already been on this trip. So I kind of have, I know kind of how it went based on his testimony. And so during his trip, he realized that there were basically two ways you could approach this trip. One is to complain. There are no restrooms, no electricity, no cell phones, no showers, no refrigerator, no mattress, no air conditioning, no Starbucks, no Chick-fil-A. I mean... There is a lot to complain about. I mean, you can just look for it. You can find it. I mean, you can complain about all these different things. Uh, very easy to find something to complain about. So that's one way to do it. You can go into it and just let's complain about whatever you can find to complain about. Because there's plenty of things, plenty of inconveniences, plenty of discomforts. Now, the other way to approach the trip, and this is what I was encouraging him. I said, this is how I think you all should approach the trip. Is to say, you know, I'm open to growing. I may need to grow in patience during this trip steadfastness, you know. Uh, I need to try to see the good in the trip and grow in the midst of this discomfort and inconvenience. I mean, maybe there's some good that can come out of this and that's what I want to look for instead of just complaining. And, uh, you know, as I'm sharing, I'm sharing with you about this trip, some of you are thinking I would never want to go on that trip. But, you know, there's a lot of parallels, right, between this outward bound trip and life. Right? Life is filled with inconveniences and discomforts. Filled with them. And even tragedy. And there's always something to complain about, right? I mean, we can find it. Some of us are very good at finding it. You know? There's always something to complain about. And this is our default position. It's my default position. Probably it's yours as well. 
we tend to try to make a case for why we shouldn't be going through this. You know, I can understand everybody else going through trials, but I don't deserve my trials, you know. You know, I don't deserve to be squeezed by the circumstances of life. And we can't imagine, you know, how, God, how are you even going to work in this situation for my good? I just don't see it. Uh, so one way is to complain. Or the other way to approach life is the way James is proposing here. And that is we trust God in the midst of inconveniences, in the midst of discomforts and even the more tragic moments in life. And trust that God is both with us and somehow is going to grow us in the midst of this. Those really are the two, two options. And so James is very concerned with believers that are being scattered and saying, you know, I really want you to count on all joy. Uh, I want you to trust God in these difficult times. And he says in verses 2 through 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The other, in other words, when you fall into them, they just happen to you. You didn't you know, necessarily cause them. I mean, it just happens to you. You fall into them. They happen. They're unpredictable, unexpected, out of your control. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You're commenting on this passage. Uh, one commentator said this. Listen to what he says. He says, our values determine our evaluations. Our values determine our evaluations. And listen to what he means by this. He says, if we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. And if we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. And so in order for us to become better and not bitter when we face trials, we need to ask God for wisdom so that we can view our trials through this type of lens. We need the wisdom of God to be able to see things the way he sees them. And this is why James in verses five through seven tells us, if any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James says, you know, God gives generously this wisdom to those who ask for it in faith. And so, you know, if you and I, if we're going to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds, then we need to have an active prayer life. You know, one, a prayer life that asks God for the ability to trust Him in the midst of the challenge, believing that somehow, some way, He is going to grow us into the person He wants us to be in the midst of it. Now, notice James doesn't say that, you know, you have to look at the trial and say, man, I'm so glad this trial is here. This is a great trial. No, he's just saying, okay, if you're in the midst of this, believe that God's going to work. He's going to work because some trials are, are evil. I mean, you go through evil times, tragic times, but even then, believing that, okay, I'm, I'm walking through this, God is with me, and I believe God is going to use this to draw me into a deeper walk with Himself. And also, James wants, 
those people that are dispersed and seeking to walk with the Lord in these different places, and He wants us to know as well, that God is not trying to trip you up. Do you know that? God's not trying to make you fail. Now, parents, school teachers, have you ever heard a student say, yeah, that teacher is just trying to fail me. Yeah. <laughs> I get getting some, uh, some laughter from the teachers in the group. That teacher's just trying to fail me. You're like, man, I just see, man, I just, you know, that's surprising because it looks like you're trying to fail yourself, really, is what I'm looking at. But, you know, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's... Maybe there's an example out there somewhere of a teacher that just loves failing students. Maybe, and I'm sure there, there are those examples. Maybe there are just few. But all the teachers that I've met, personally, they want their students to succeed. I mean, they want their students to learn and grow and pass their class. I mean, they're not thinking, you know, I just hope I can fail a bunch of students this year. Even though students, I know it may feel like that sometimes. In other words, these, these teachers... At least the majority of them. They don't take joy in when a student shows lack of effort or they just are not interested in learning. They don't take joy in giving that student a, a bad grade on the test or assignment. Uh, you know, a teacher's job is to help students grow in their education. And one of the ways they do that is by testing their knowledge. Right? I mean, you have quizzes and tests and projects. You're trying to help them to put what they know uh, out there so you can see are they catching on are they learning because the job of the teacher is to help them to grow and so the testing is not to fail the student but to grow the student and in a similar way James is telling us that God does not desire that we fail or that we give in to temptation or become bitter with life that is not what God wants for you and that is not what God wants for me James tells us that God does not tempt anyone God does not want us to fail. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to be bitter. He doesn't want us to go our own way. And he tells us that when we are tempted, it's actually something that's going on in our hearts. Um, And we can't put the blame on God or, or anyone else. When we sin, something's going on in our own heart. He tells us that we are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our desire. And when our desire gives birth, to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And the picture here is of a fishing lure. And some of you, you know, maybe are fishermen or fisher ladies, um, or you've seen fishing on television, or, or if you don't know anything I'm talking about, just go with me, just stick with me. You know, a good if if, if you know we do have some some pretty uh, avid fishermen here in the church, so if uh, they can help us out with this, but a good fishing lure entices the fish. Right? It's supposed to entice the fish. It's supposed to look like what it really needs. And it draws the fish out from its little safe habitat you know, into the open water. And that fish decides to take a risk and go after it because it believes that this is what I need. This is going to do it for me right here. And so the fish goes after it and it bites down on that lure And next thing you know, that hook penetrates the mouth, right? And then once that hook is set, the fish is caught and is led in a direction he never thought he would go. That's the power of a good fishing lure. And that's the power of that desire that's in every one of our hearts 
to go our own way. And specifically, when we face trials, we don't like that. And so we want a way of escape. And so we look for ways and we are enticed to go a way that is not good. It's not the way that God wants us to go. And so we clamp onto it and it takes us to a place where we never thought we would go perhaps. It makes matters worse many times. And if anything else, it short circuits our growth with the Lord. As we are lured away by our own desire to do things our way. So our desire for comfort and convenience may lead us to make decisions that not only make these matters worse, but they can affect our relationship with the Lord and and stunt our growth. Um, So instead of just trying to quickly escape from trials and and kind of do things our way, let's seek the Lord. Let's ask God for wisdom, James is telling us. Let's trust the Lord that He will show us the way He wants us to go. You know, let's not allow the desire for an easy life. I mean, don't we want that? An easy life. Trouble-free life. Don't let that desire for an easy life cloud your judgment and cause you to go in a direction God doesn't want you to go. It's so easy to do. James wants Christians to live out their faith day in, day out. And as it relates to trials, this means counting it all joy, knowing that God is with me. God is with me in this. And I believe even in the midst of this difficulty... Somehow, some way, God is going to grow me in this. He's going to draw me into a deeper walk with Himself. He's going to help me become more of the person He wants me to be in the midst of this difficult time. James is also concerned with not only your personal growth and my personal growth, he's also very concerned with how people view God's people. Right? Because we are to show the world what it means to follow Jesus. And so he's very concerned with these Christians as they go out from Jerusalem and these different places. I mean, are they representing the Lord? Or are they just kind of blending in, doing things the way the culture does them? Or are they really seeking the Lord? Are they counting all joy when they face difficulty, believing that God is with them, God is at work? God wants us to grow, but our desire, our sinful desire within, wants us to die. And so the main thrust of this passage is that when we face trials and temptations, we need to trust the Lord. And if we want to grow, then we must trust that God is working working for our good even when we don't see it or understand it. And that may be oftentimes. We just don't know how He's going to use it, what He's going to do. But we trust Him because we know He loves us. How? How do we know He loves us? Because He gave His Son for us. God so loved the world, He gave His Son for us. We know He loves us. So that's not the issue. He loves us. He gave us His Son so that we can have a relationship with Him. Jesus tells us He's always with us. He tells us God's going to complete what He started within us. So as we face friction, difficulties, triumphs, temptations, we need to believe that the Lord is with us and He can grow us in the midst of this as as we seek Him and trust Him. If we want to grow, then we must believe and trust that God is at work for our good. James teaches us this in verse 17 when he says, you know, every good, every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now he's saying God doesn't change. All good gifts come from God. That's the only thing He can give is good gifts. And so He's not trying to make you fail. He's not trying to destroy your life. He's trying to give you the crown of life because He loves you. And we need to trust Him. God is good and only gives good gifts. And because we've been brought forth, like James says, we've been brought forth by the word of truth, you know, the gospel. We can trust that God will complete what He has started with us. And so we can trust God to work for our good, even in the midst of trials. I want to end with the, the words of an old, old poem. And listen, listen to this poem. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times He weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride... Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that trials are universal. And those who are your people, we face unique trials as well as we seek to follow Jesus. Lord, help us to count it all joy, knowing that you're at work, that you're with us. Help us to experience that contentment and peace that you give. Lord, help us to believe that you are good. You give good gifts. You want what's best for your people. Help us to trust you in the midst of difficulty, even tragedy. Believing, Lord, that you're going to be with us, you are with us, and you're going to work these things in our lives to make us into the people you want us to be. And we confess that is hard, that is difficult. And so often we look for ways of escape and want to go our own way. And we confess that, Lord. And we ask that you would forgive us, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, that we may trust you for wisdom, believe that you're good, believe that you're working for our good. And demonstrate to a watching world that this is, this is the way the people of God live. We trust you. We don't expect a trial-free life. But we do know that you're with us. And you promise to uh, work for the good of those who love you. And we trust that you will do that. In Jesus' name, amen.